0: Today's episode of Latino in Chicago is brought to you by Uback. Learn more about supporting Chicago's nonprofit community at this year's Giving Tuesday celebration on November 29th. Visit ubackforgood.com. That's letter U B A C K F O R G O O D dot for more information. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the 7th episode of Latino in Chicago. This is your host Eric Lugo. Today we catch up with Rick Estrada, CEO of Metropolitan Family Services, an organization that has empowered families to learn, to earn, to heal, and to thrive since 1857. MFS works with 72,000 families across the Chicagoland region, providing financial aid, counseling, workforce, education, and legal services. Rick has nearly three decades of leadership experience in Human Services, Philanthropy, and Government, including appointments to the University of Illinois Board of Trustees, the Chicago Council on Global Affairs Selection Committee for the Emerging Leaders Program, and the Board of Directors at the Woods Fund of Chicago. In this episode, we learn about MFS's programs and growth, along with the increased services to Latino families across the Chicagoland area, opportunities to support the emotional wellness of working families, the importance of facilitating leadership as well as continuing to innovate and build. Rick shares insight on the great possibility that exists in Chicago and ways to get engaged in creating opportunity for families across the city. Without further ado, here's Rick. Thanks for joining us at Latino in Chicago, Rick. It's good to see you as always.
1: Uh, Eric, awesome to see you. Thanks for being here.
0: For sure. Uh, Why don't we start by talking about Metropolitan Family Services? Can you tell us about the work of this long-standing organization?
1: Absolutely. Metropolitan Family Services is the first chartered not-for-profit in the state of Illinois. Founded in 1857, that makes us 159 years young this year. Uh, We are just super excited as we approach 160th that we still are vibrant, relevant, and ready for the future.
0: What kind of services do you offer families?
1: Sure. uh, The services that Metropolitan offers, the Chicagoland area, uh, fall in four buckets. We call them our four E's. So it's education, primarily that means early childhood development services in the city of Chicago and in DuPage County. We are also in 24 Chicago public schools. Uh, providing supplemental education and uh, community uh, schools type programming so that would be our education bucket then economic stability so we provide job training job placement and job support services for primarily CHA residents and primarily in Altgeld Gardens which is one of the tougher areas the largest development left in Chicago but also, it's not exclusive. We also have a young father's program. We offer job training skills for uh, young men, Latino, African-American primarily, who are, who are uh, in, in need of that type of service. The next uh, big E for us is called, it's both a value and, uh, and a, an area of services. We call it empowerment. So what that means is uh, we ho- host our Legal Aid Society there, which is the second oldest legal aid clinic in the country also. Uh, after New York's and but also it's a value uh, that we're not only providing services but that we are helping people take charge of their own life to recognize their own power and take charge of their lives. The final one is um, emotional wellness and for us that's mental health services so we serve about 9,000 people a year in a variety of month- mental health um, service areas and we do this across our region so from Palos to Blue Island to Roseland, to DuPage County, to Evanston, Skokie, and in Chicago were offering these uh, the desperately needed mental health services. So that, that would be the buckets. Those great,
0: great. Be. What was your uh, way or journey to Metro Family Services?
1: It was uh, I would call my journey to Metropolitan Family Services the long and winding road, uh, <laughs> and one that is not yet complete. Yeah. But uh, you know, I started out in a little tiny nonprofit in the Little Village area, which was the area where I grew up. Uh, in a place called Latino Youth Inc. Uh, From there, I discovered a place that I ended up uh, falling in love with, Erie Neighborhood House and spent many years there. Um, Picked up a couple of graduate degrees along the way. Worked at places like Chicago Commons, uh, Erie House for a second time. Became a uh, first deputy commissioner at the city of Chicago. And then that led me to Metropolitan Family Services.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And you've been in this role for how long?
1: I'm uh, going on six years as uh, president and CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. Yeah, yeah, awesome.
0: Happy sixth anniversary. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, what would you say drives MFS's success?
1: You know, what drives MFS's success is the commitment to supporting the family. Mm-hmm. I mean we I mean it's the, the most obvious thing in the world that if you don't have strong families you can't have s- healthy communities and you can't have healthy municipalities, states and countries the whole. But yet in spite the, of the fact that we all know this it doesn't seem like we invest enough of our resources in making sure that that family unit whatever it looks like today is strong and solid. So all of our resources go in making sure That families, whether it's a two-parent family, a one-parent family, a mixed-parent family, whatever it is, a no-parent family, that we uh, support it and that we provide them the tools they need to find their own strength and therefore success.
0: Can you tell us a little bit how MFS has changed over the last few years? In particular, I'm thinking about... um, you know, you guys have some serious service scale, right? right. And 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 while uh, you think very comprehensively about families in Chicago, I think that MFS, like any institution, has seen growth, in particular out of Latino families accessing services. I'm curious about how the organization has made
1: adjustments as it's had to serve new people. Sure, mm-hmm. um, over the last five and a half years, which is uh, what I am most familiar with this organization. I think I should say, Eric, that I started here really in 1992 as an intern. Uh, I was at the University of Chicago School of Social Work program, and my second year placement was at a place called United Charities, and that organization is today Metropolitan Family Services. Mm. So, um, but for the last five and a half years I've been here, so we have changed significantly. For example, uh, when um, five and a half years ago we serve 43,000 people a year. Today, we are releasing our annual report um, in two days, and we are now serving 72,000 people a year wow. at Metropolitan Family Services. The budget grew from 32.5 million to about 50 million uh, this year, and so it's so it's experienced significant growth. Uh, a lot of that growth has been in service to the Latino community. Mm. Uh, not uh, exclusively because we've grown in on the southeast side of the city, uh, in Roseland and uh, a variety of other communities, uh, but the significant growth has been around the Midway Airport area and also in DuPage County. We have become the Head Start provider for all of DuPage County, uh, which means we're serving over 600 children in DuPage And the majority of those children happen to be Latino. That's not why we went into uh, the business, if you will, of Mm -hmm. of, uh, high quality early childhood development. But the reality is that as as we well know, there are more Latinos now living in the suburbs than there are Latinos living in the city. And our services reflect that change in demographics. And so now we're serving Latino kids from West Chicago to Addison to Warrenville and uh, and other you know small towns uh, and townships across that area, so it's been a significant growth.
0: That's incredible. Um, it's in a also a lot of interesting ways. Of an important lead into the next series of questions, which really center on challenges that families are facing, uh, not only in Chicago but across Chicagoland and Illinois. Could you speak um, uh, a little bit to?
1: how you perceive the challenges of families in 2016. Sure, the uh, fa- the challenges that our families are facing in uh, 2016 and beyond are, come in multiple facets. I think the most important challenge is the fact that there aren't uh, enough high-quality jobs for people to take. And I think that's critical because if you don't feel good about the place where you work, it's uh, obviously it's worse if you don't have a job, period. But if you do have a job and it's a job that's kind of uh, below your uh, intellectual capacity and you know that you could do better and you're stuck in this job and whether you're Latino or African American or white or Asian or whatever, that leads to added stress, which then leads to all of the social ills that we know including mental illness and uh, maybe self-medication so at the end of the day i think the single most important thing that we could do is provide more high quality jobs that are dignified Um, so that's that's i think at the core but there are other elements that are going on i think there's an um an increase in the need for mental health services and so that's where we come in and provide those support services we hope that in, we know that in providing these services, we can at least stabilize the life situation so that people are more ready to then take on these roles that we call jobs and then be beneficial to th- their own family, their community, but to their mental health. Uh, so that would be the second one. The other, the other one, uh, and I think a critical one, is there's a change in our country, and I think that um, with the advent, not so new, of uh, globalization and the fact that um, the emphasis that we have put on um, domestic labor has changed and the fact that we now have to compete with people all over the world and that we uh, not that we can't but we don't quite get why we have to why we can't just keep jobs here and why we can't just retrain our population to do other jobs that are going to be here to stay There there are tens of thousands of unfilled, high-quality jobs here, but our people haven't made the transition to get themselves qualified for those jobs. So so that, get narrowing that gap between our people's core intellectual capacity and ability to learn, but their reluctance to understand that they are in a transition period and that they need to get that training to get these new jobs of the future. So we're in this gray space until mm-hmm. we, we convince folks that they have to move in that direction, I think we're going to be, uh, um, you know, uh, suffering the effects of it.
0: What do you think Chicago can improve on to help maybe some of these issues that you've identified?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, Chicago is certainly doing the best it can right now to, to improve this situation. The problem is I'm not sure that the city leadership uh, and I'm not talking political. I'm talking just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, understands that people are in this gray area that I spoke about earlier. That uh, while we know that there are these high-quality jobs, and that there's the uh, they don't understand the pathways to getting there. And and as human beings, we we both resist change. Most of us, not all of us, some of them, uh, but we resist change. And the the hard work that it's gonna take to retrain ourselves for those jobs, I think it's a challenge. I think that uh, Chicago, both the political Chicago, the corporate Chicago, the civic Chicago, and the nonprofit Chicago has to invest in that transition and that training. I think we have great organizations working on that. We are just one of them. Uh, but the more resources we can invest there, the better we're gonna be as a society in the future.
0: Amazing. Uh, Rick, can we transition a little bit to talk about just leadership lessons Um, and you know there's lots of things that I'd I'd love to maybe you know talk about. Uh, One is certainly uh, your journey to this country. I've heard you express that story in different occasions and and reflect on how that shaped not only your work in community but your leadership style. Um, Another that I'll just put out there as we kind of work through some of the questions is the German Marshall Fund and um That experience in the Marshall Memorial Fellowship, and how that uh, has informed your own leadership perspective. why don't we start with just you know providing some general thoughts on your approach to leadership uh not only as an executive uh, of this organization but uh, as a Latino in the city, as a human being in the
1: city. Uh, I will do my best, Eric. There's <laughs> a whole lot of things to <laughs> unpack there. Yeah, um, absolutely. My uh, approach to leadership certainly, I think, has been influenced over the years, whether it was the uh, life journey from leaving our home country and coming here as a young child and uh, as an immigrant. But at the end of the day, I think um, I've I become, um, I would say, I am the product of the lived experiences, but really of the tremendous support and goodwill of dozens of people that at the end of the day didn't really have to help me, but decided to do it anyway. Mm. And so whether it was, you know, of course your parents are going to do that, that's their job for most healthy parents, but teachers and priests, pastors, uh, professors, just uh regular folks out on the street, aunts and uncles uh, people have gone out of their way to uh, uh you know to help me to mm-hmm. be successful so w- so what has that taught me that uh, whatever I have become and the little bit of success that I've had is not my own that it, it's it's a result of m- many people investing in their own time in me and so in order to honor them, then I need to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I think I'm the kind of leader that knows that uh, that uh, I'm only as good as the next leader that I'm helping bring along. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, I could start there. Awesome. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you <laughs> asked a bunch of other questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so other lived experiences, the mm-hmm. German Marshall uh, Fellowship, another true honor for me. You know, it, that falls under the category of uh, these life experiences that help shape you. You selected as one of fifty or so Americans to go to your Euro- young Americans to go to Europe and learn all things about the transatlantic partnership, the two big western hemispheres, if you will, and trying to be good role models for everybody else in the world and trying to maintain peace. Um, you know we travel to five countries multiple cities but at the end of the day while the intent was to learn about uh, the European Union and uh, Europe in general and how its importance to the um, important it is to the American and the transatlantic experience what I ended up learning more than anything is uh, that I am for uh, for good but I was gonna say for good or bad but it's mostly for good that in spite of my lens through which I see the world, that, that it's uh, somewhat Latino, and in my case of the Mexican variety, I'm an American, and mm-hmm. that's what I, what I learned because I had so much more in common with the experiences and the perspective of uh, young leaders from across the country, whether it was in Alaska or, you know, Georgia, that I had a lot more in common with them on a regular basis than I did with the Europeans. I had an affinity for the Europeans, and the, they're, because of my Latin American upbringing, so many things in common with them, but at the end of the day, because of where I live, I have more in common. Uh, I, I felt that I'm more of, I understand now that I am more of an American than I ever imagined, and, uh, and I'm proud of that, but I learned more about what it means to be an American than anything else. And then about leadership, I learned That you could be a leader in so many different ways and different styles, um, and as long as you uh, hold fast to your integrity and your uh, ethic of work uh, and heart and mind, then you can lead.
0: Is there anything you wish you knew about this work before you
1: jumped in? Um, Anything I wish to know about this work before I jumped in? You know, it's one of that's one of those questions that I think. I want to say yes, but the reality is no. I don't. I, I you know, I'm not afraid of change, like what most people t- seem to be. But I kind of like jumping in, uh, not putting my toe in the water, just jumping in and then experiencing it. Uh, I I knew coming in that I was walking into a very different culture, that I'd probably there'd probably be a little bit of reluctance of my. Um, you know, for my style of leadership, and given the fact that I'm new, the first Latino presidency of this organization, that there's a lot of assumptions being made about who I'd be in this role. Um, I knew that. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's anything that I wish that I'd know. I learn things every single day. Mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't mean that I wish I would have known them ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I kind of welcome and embrace all the challenges and changes. I think we have an amazing team that's fearless, and um, and that's that's why I want to work with you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Are there things that you're doing differently
0: today that um, that you weren't necessarily doing as a leader of an organization five or ten years ago?
1: Oh, I'm sure there are. <laughs> I, I think there's one one thing that I uh, <laughs> that I want to <laughs> share with you that I just yeah. realized about myself. So before coming to this role, I kind of prided myself, and I had. Started things. I found things. I helped improve things. I founded a school and helped grow another organization. And came here and decided, for whatever reason, that uh, I was now was going to be more. I use a sports analogy because I know that you uh, you like I like basketball a lot. I decided that I was going to be a facilitator and more of a point guard type role, and that I'm no longer the creator. That I'm just going to make it um, possible so that my team creates and build. And so as uh, any good point guard would do, I think I put opportunities in front of our people and some hit really well. Some they, they caught the ball, shot it, it went in. Mm-hmm. Our growth into page is one example, and others did not. And um, for good or bad, what I realized after five and a half years, and like I said, you, you, this old dog continues to learn, I'm not done building. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know now that uh, while I can, I can both be an uh, effective point guard, but every once in a while, I still have to take my shots. And I think that realization um, just came back to me, and, and um, it's made me happier than I've been in, uh, in a long time. I mean, I'm a happy guy in general, but mm-hmm. just, you know, every day you live and you get a little wisdom, and I realize I'm nowhere near done uh, building. So yeah. the next day, just you got to build some more.
0: Any early shares on what you're hoping to build? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: n- uh, uh, not yet, Eric. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's going to be in the area of um, a combination of workforce development. There's also in the financial services sector, uh, probably in the young father space, but, uh, but definitely in the parenting space mm-hmm. that you're going to see uh, this organization shift uh, and uh, or increase its focus in those areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we already do good things, but the next, uh, I think, couple of years have uh, a lot of excitement in store for us.
0: Yeah,
1: I've often found that um, you know nonprofit
0: leaders can be uh, positioned as not business leaders, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yet there are, I think, some very real lessons that nonprofit leaders can share to folks neither coming up, you know, in other spaces. What advice might you give to a young person, either interested in the nonprofit sector or growing up in a field unrelated to the nonprofit space, but still looking to grow?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I remember when I first started in the nonprofit sector, of all the friends that I uh, graduated with college um, with, both at my own school and at other schools. I mean, I have a big network of friends here in chicago and uh, i was i think by far making we just talked dollars and cents making the least amount of money and most of my friends would say oh yeah that's 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 great that you're doing that is is that a full-time job (laughs) and i remember thinking at the time you know i wasn't insulted by it but thinking "Geez, it's more it's more than a full-time job it's 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 like a 60 hour a week job and these people think it's a part-time job because i'm doing charity. Mm-hmm. I think as we've all grown and evolved uh, certainly I have one of the best nonprofit jobs in the city and and the, um, uh, and I think the salary ha- has uh, manifested itself that way and uh, so it's a different situation for me now personally and this is a, again a terrific job mm-hmm. but the reality is that the perspective that my friends now have on what it means to be successful has changed as their careers evolved and minds has evolved I don't have to sp- say it uh, for speak for myself in this way that uh, I think I am relatively successful here. But I think that my colleagues, all of whom are pretty successful in their own rights, uh, also recognize that you can have not only s- uh, success but impact in this role. And I think they struggle with the fact that they may have success, economic and otherwise, but they don't know what the impact is mm. necessarily. So it's your life goal to make sure that other people have um, better commercial loans Mm -hmm. it's your life role to make sure that uh, other wealthy people are making uh, a couple more basis points than they would have otherwise if you weren't there is that what's going to make your life meaningful and I think they look at our space as we evolve and get older and they say wow that's the kind of space where you have impact Mm -hmm. and so uh, I would say to young people is you could learn all the business skills in the world in the nonprofit sector and uh, and have a successful existence, uh, make a decent living. It's never going to be what you're going to possibly make in the for-profit sector. Uh, To the uh, corporate leaders, um, there's a lot of them that get to a certain age, and then they think they now want to make a shift to the nonprofit world and run a nonprofit because I think they assume it's easier. Mm -hmm. I think there are many, many more stories of failure uh, than there are of success in having corporate leaders come here. One, they don't understand the culture, they don't understand the challenges, and then they realize this is a tougher job than what they had. So, uh, I'm, you know, you want hard, solid skills in a specific technical area. Certainly, uh, they abound in the corporate and uh, private sector, but you can get them all here as well. Mm-hmm. Is there any literature that has shaped or is shaping your current thinking? Um, You know, I read uh, um, a lot of books partially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a lot of, as you can see in my office, there's a lot of books here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I don't know that I've read any of them, um, you know, first page to, or cover to cover, although maybe a few. Uh, There are some books that have shaped my thinking. You mentioned earlier. me being a Marshall Fellow, so I read a book um, that I hope I sent you. I don't remember anymore. He did, but yeah. um, you know, on the German Marshall uh, Plan, and the, I think they call it America's greatest adventure, the German Marshall uh, Plan. That book really gave me an insight into that a specific window in history in a way that helped me change my perspective on leadership, and and I'll mention. The, this I think uh, George Marshall is considered one of the uh, um, hundred greatest Americans I think that's that, that he's underrated I think he should be probably in the top fifty but um so what I learned about George Marshall is you could both be a strategist and lead a war effort because he was essentially the leader uh he was he was patman macarthur's uh boss, and people don 't remember that George Marshall was the architect behind. That really the war winning effort mm-hmm. uh, on the American front, We also learned that there was a, a equal investment going on on other fronts, whether it was the the Russian or, or the uh, British and other um, continental European efforts that they, um, there was an equal effort going on there. We just kind of came later with a lot of resources but um, but what I learned is that while Patton and MacArthur and others are remembered as the war heroes, it's the guy behind the scenes that really I think people should remember as the architect of, of the World War II victory. But that same guy became uh, a noble peace laureate mm. after you know building, uh, being responsible for the creation of the German Marshall Plan to help rebuild Europe. And uh, he was also Secretary of State, so he was, uh, war general, a statesman, and a peacemaker. So, and I think the average American won't know who he is. They've mm-hmm. certainly known Patton and, uh, you know, the other generals, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they won't know him. So that book is uh, was instrumental to me, but there are other books that are going mm-hmm. on. More relevant to my field is uh, Dana Susskind's 30 Million Words and just the importance of words and the uh, building of a brain. Of a young child, I think people believe that genetics has everything to do with how intelligent your child is going to be. But the reality is that in the first uh, pre, from the moment of conception to about uh, the year, uh, the, the day you turn four, those critical years, you could literally build brain. And uh, and so I've, I I've read that book and I've listened to that book also, cover to cover. It's it's an an important book for not just parents, but for anybody in the human services sector that cares about what our children are going to be, how they're going to learn, and how they're going to lead. Mm.
0: Uh, You talked a little bit about your vision for MFS. I'm curious, what's your vision for
1: Chicago? Um, You know, the vision, I I think, one, it'd be kind of a little presumptuous for me to think that I have a vision for Chicago because it takes so many voices to uh, develop the vision. Yeah. But, if, uh, but if I were, uh, you know, boss for the day, you know, Chicago has so much possibility, so much possibility. We have all, you know, we have natural resources. We have, we're at the center of the country. We uh, lead in transportation, growing biotech we have uh, cr- tremendous universities from Illinois to Northwestern Chicago to Loyola and all the other great institutions in town uh, what we lack still is the investment in the cu- human capital we talk about brain drain that we you know, we people come here to the great universities and they leave us for the coast uh, if we only invested in our more in our internal you know capacity our kids of color here in this city those kids would be least likely, less likely to leave than the kids that came here only to study here and then go back to other towns. Those kids that are from the neighborhoods, from the suburbs that are impacted, if, they, if we invested more money in those kids and they stayed in our local institutions, and even if they went to other colleges out of state, they are more likely to come back because they have roots here. And as you get older, you realize not only you're American, you're from the Midwest and that means something if we invested more in those people i think the future for chicago would be so tremendously bright Mm -hmm. um and i still believe that that's going to happen right Mm -hmm. i mean because the investment is not somebody else's job it's our job
0: yeah and how can folks help you do that
1: job uh hope folks can help me do this job by um supporting kids in their neighborhood in Mm -hmm. their school and their local nonprofit. They don't have to help us at Metropolitan Family Services. We'll figure out a way to get their help and get help we need. Mm -hmm. But uh, help the organizations you think are most effective, uh, and if it happens to be in your neighborhood, on your block, whether it's a block club or nonprofit or a local school of any kind, any shape school, You support them because it's the the children there that are going to be most important for our future. And if you care about your own future, you should care about other people's kids as well. Mm -hmm. Any parting thoughts, Rick? Any parting thoughts? Uh, Eric, uh, I'm so glad you're doing this. This It's a great initiative. I am just uh, humbled and honored uh, to uh, share a little bit of my thoughts. Again, I I, uh, don't normally like to do this stuff, but uh, given who you are and given the other leaders that have spoken here, I'm uh, just happy to do it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate
0: it, Rick. That was Rick Estrada, CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. If you're finding value from our conversations, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Also, check out our sponsor, ubackforgood.com. That's letter U-B-A-C-K-F-O-R-G-O-O-D.com for more information on the November 29th Giving Tuesday event. Next week's episode features Michelle Morales at the Challenge. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Until then, peace.